Lots of us have cold cases in our labs, and sometimes it takes an observation from somewhere else to make us realize the significance of what we already know. I asked Denise about an observation her lab made concerning the fly ovary that didn't come into its own for more than 20 years. Back in the mid-1990s, your lab discovered that this GTP ACE, called RAC, is critical for cell motility migration. And it turns out this is true in pretty much all cells, not just fly ovary cells. Cells need RAC. And you did this very cool experiment where you used a photoactivatable form of RAC to just steer the border cell cluster around using light to demonstrate how transient RAC directs cell movement by promoting actin polymerization at the leading edge of those moving cells. Uh, That was a beautiful experiment. But there was this one really weird thing, right? (laughs) If these border cells in the ovary, so they're only a cluster of four to six cells, if they express the active form of RAC, then in a sense, they kill the entire egg chamber that is the structure that holds the egg and the nurse cells. So this was really weird because you could actually kill the border cells in other ways. Like you could hit them with a laser or something and the egg chamber was just fine. So there was something about the cells having too much rack that was turning the border cells into killers. But this was really a mystery, right? Yeah, we had this observation that if we expressed constitutively active rack in the border cells, that the whole egg chamber died. And we didn't think of it as killing at that time. We were just completely mystified as to why the egg chamber was dying. We thought, okay, it's really toxic, you know, or something like, I don't know, but it's not a protein that gets out of the cell. It's in the cell. So how it could be toxic to the whole egg chamber completely made no sense. And, you know, most of the times when you get like a dead you don't, you, know, you don't think too hard about it. And it's not too easy to work on either. So anyway, we didn't think about it too hard, honestly, um, all those years. But then you're right. It was like more than 20 years later. You know, other people were busy studying other aspects of egg chamber development. And in particular, Kim McCall at Boston University was studying a later stage of egg chamber development. And in the normal process of egg chamber development, there's this big group of support cells called nurse cells that squeeze their cytoplasm. They donate their cytoplasm to the growing oocyte. So the oocyte can become this big egg. And then the nurse cells shrink and are pretty small. And then they're not useful anymore because they've done their job. And everybody thought for a long time that they probably underwent a programmed cell death process, you know, that is widespread in developmental biology, you know, apoptosis or something. But it turned out that um, Kim McCall figured out that they don't do that. They don't die. They're actually eaten alive. Okay, so they're eaten alive by the follicle cells that surround them. And uh, that was, you know, pretty intriguing. And you might think that sounds pretty intense and pretty weird. But actually, our red blood cells turn over that way. Again, it's not a weird flyover thing. It's like a thing. (laughs) It goes on um, in nature. And so when we learned that... That was interesting. And it also looked like the molecules that are involved in that, you know, eating alive process are molecules that are involved in any kind of engulfment. So cells sometimes drink fluid by engulfment. They sometimes eat small particles by engulfment. They eat dying cells by engulfment. And there's a machinery that allows the cell to engulf something. And that machinery requires rack. 
And so we were like, aha, maybe what's going on is the border cells at an early stage of development when they normally wouldn't, you know, do this because they have too much rack, they think it's time to eat. And maybe they're eating the nerve cells and this is killing the egg chamber. And so that was a hypothesis. And it was like, okay, fine, that's a good hypothesis, but how do you test it? And postdoc in my lab, Abhinav Mishra, did you know what I think was just a, a great experiment. We knew from Kim McCall's work that there's a particular receptor protein called Draper that's expressed on the follicle cells, and it's how the follicle cells detect the nurse cells that they're going to eat. And if they don't have that receptor, they can't tell that there's something to eat there. So he simply expressed active RAC in the border cells in the background of a homozygous mutation for Draper. So the, the egg chamber had no Draper. The border cells were now blind to the germline because they didn't have Draper, but they had active RAC and it rescued the viability of the egg chamber. So that seemed to really strongly indicate that uh, the mechanism was a killing mechanism whereby the border cells were prematurely kind of engulfing the nurse cells. Now, there's still a couple of mysteries in there, <laughs> one of which is the border cells are tiny relative to the whole structure of the egg chamber, okay? So they're like one two thousandth of the whole thing. And so how are these little border cells like eating the whole egg chamber? So, And it turns out that it, they don't, um, but rather what they do is they start the process. They take bites out of the neighboring nurse cells. And this because the nurse cells are connected to each other and to the oocyte because they're transferring cytoplasm from one cell to the other. This triggers a very instantaneous spreading of a death signal and all the cells die. And now all the follicle cells that are surrounding them jump in and start engulfing and everybody's engulfing everybody at that point. It's really quite chaotic. Um, And so that's how we kind of like figured that out. And I was super excited about that, although you have to realize this is a very niche sort of finding, right? Oh, we figured out why rack and R6 cells kills the egg chamber. (laughs) It's like a pretty, you know, of perhaps limited interest to those of us who care about egg chamber. But it turns out there were implications of this finding that are of major interest to other people, including clinical immunologists. Denise found out about all this through the kind of happy accident that scientists know well. It's a classic example of what happens when colleagues get together at conferences. Denise was with Anna Hudenlacher, a hematologist who uses zebrafish as a research organism and who had studied cell migration for a long time. The two of them were playing hooky from a conference in England to go see a nearby castle when Denise mentioned her lab's findings about the fly egg chamber and rack. Anna then said she had heard about patients with an immune deficiency disease who have activating mutations in RAC. She said that, and I was like, huh, that's interesting. But it didn't immediately mean something to me. And so then I went home, and I looked up the paper, and I noticed that these patients were missing their B and T cells, and that their neutrophils, which is another type of white blood cell that's also a phagocytic type of cell, They saw that their neutrophils were hyperactive, that they had like lots of vacuoles in them, which meant that maybe they were engulfing things. They were hyperactive for macropinocytosis, which is fluid drinking, which is something that RAC does to cells. And we've known that since, you know, the 1990s. But they could not understand why the BNT cells were going away. Like RAC is normally a pro-survival protein for BNT cells. 
So there was this beautiful paper described the activating mutation. These three unrelated patients all had the same mutation, causes a twofold increase in RAC activity, causes this hyperactivation of neutrophils, and BNT cells disappeared. And they made a mouse that recapitulated all the same phenotypes as the people, but they just didn't understand where they were going. But for us, it was like, we think we might know where they're going. Maybe those hyperactive phagocytes that have too much RAC activity are eating the B and T cells prematurely, just like what's going on in the fly. And that was um, an exciting idea that we decided we should test. And so then the same post-secondary lab, Abhinav Mishra, expressed this active mutant of RAC in a human macrophage-like cell derived from an HL60 cell line and then co-cultured. So here, you, you know, you label the macrophage in green and you label some um, T-cell targets in red and you mix them together. And sure enough, the macrophages gobble up the living T-cells if they have more RAC. And it's proportional. The more active RAC they have, the more they eat. <laughs> and, so, um, and so we were like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. This thing we discovered, this weird thing we were <laughs> studying the flies, turns out to explain this human immunodeficiency. And so we thought that was really fun. But again, there's only three people who have that disease. There's only three people known. There's probably a handful more. This is not like a disease that's common or, you know, that, but still it was, it was pretty cool to be able to make that connection. But again, we're just talking about fundamental biology. This is just rack, which is so ancient in evolution. You can find the origins of it in bacteria you know, rack is a very fundamental thing. Eating is a very fundamental thing. Even the connection between migration and eating, we think is a very fundamental thing. So think about, I said, cells evolve the ability to move. What do they move for? They move to find food. So does it make sense that a local low level of stimulus would be a hint that there might be food in that direction and you'd move in that direction? And then when you got this high sustained level of signal, it'd be like, you're there, go ahead and eat it, <laughs> you know? And so... So we think that we, uh, that's a speculation, but we think that might be why this is such a deeply conserved sort of phenomenon, rack in migration and really high rack in engulfment. It's like when I walk by Starbucks and I smell the coffee <laughs> yeah. coming out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then when it's really strong and, and sustained, right, I gotta like, have I've coffee. got a cup of coffee in my hand, <laughs> I need to drink it.